Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday morning broadcast of the Marvin and I Methodist Church Sanctuary Service here in downtown Tyler. My name is Doug Baker, and I'm the senior pastor of this faith community. My prayer for you will be that this morning's message will bless you and encourage you to become the person that Christ has called you to be through him. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salem, Salem the father of Boaz, who was the mo- whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uriah. Uazah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathen, Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the father, Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as we're seated, let us turn to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, we gather in your presence this day. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, as we seek your promises that are ever true today as they were the day you spoke them. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your presence. Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up from our sleep and our inattention that is holding us back. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive your love as we prepare to celebrate the hope and the birth of Christ. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. I think maybe I missed something or Matthew missed something. Because see, I grew up with the phrase, You can never make a first impression twice. You know, when you write a story, you want to catch the interest of your audience. You want them to read past the first page. And so one of the first things you to do is to come out with a catchy beginning. 
But either Matthew had not heard about this first impression or he simply just didn't care. Because you wouldn't think that the catchy beginning would begin, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Not followed by one, but 41 names that are a challenge to pronounce. So thank you all for sticking with me through that and my rather Southern accent that goes with it. You wouldn't think that the genealogy would be the way to catch your audience attention. But if you're writing to the Jewish community, this is exactly the way to do it. The Jewish history, the most natural and essential way to begin the story of an individual's life is to give their genealogy. Family and the family lineage was very significant to the Jews. They kept very strict genealogies which were deposited in the temple for safekeeping. And that's why the human genealogy of Jesus was never really challenged, even by his enemies, because it was irrefutable. In verse 17 of this morning's text, what we hear is there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. And 14 from the exile to the Messiah. The names in the passage make up Jesus' family tree. And since it ultimately concludes with the birth of Jesus, I would suppose that we could say this was the very first Christmas tree. Everybody has a family history. And there are some people who are interested in studying their family history their family history and the genealogy of how they got here. And I don't know how your family tree looks, but let me just go ahead and be honest. There are some real characters in my family tree on just about every limb. Searching for and discovering relatives can be a risky proposition. You may find some things that are great and yet you might find some things that you wish you hadn't. But stepping back and looking at the family tree as it fills out and becomes full, there's something that I begin to realize. Without those characters, those crazy characters on my family tree, I wouldn't be here today. Jesus was the part of a very real family. And now family is a rather strange mix of people that we call mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, great-grandparents, and even non-family members who aren't blood related to us, but they feel as though they could be. Now see, as we read through the genealogy of Jesus, what we'll begin to see is the Bible is very blunt. It doesn't gloss over the scandalous people. It's honest and it's real. Through the genealogy of Jesus, we discover something about God. We discover something about Jesus. Author Dan Wilt of the book Roots, Advent and the Family Story of Jesus, challenges his readers in that he says to understand Jesus, we would do well 
to discover the root of faith which he springs. Wilt goes on to describe the Son of God, it seems, the Lord Messiah, our ascended master, did not come to us in a vacuum. He came as a child born naturally of a mother from a family line herself, nurtured by a father who knew the names of his own kin many generations into the past. And that very first Christmas tree, like my family tree and potentially like yours as well, Jesus had a few surprises, a few surprising characters on that tree. Each family member has roots, our family heritage, our family story, the story of saints and sinners woven into the line of the Son of God. Verse two of this morning's text begins, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Not much is surprising in that statement. But like my family tree, as you continue reading, you find, and if you search long enough, you find a few surprises. And the same is true of Jesus. There's heroes, there's wicked kings, there's those with a sketchy past, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. In fact, the Christmas family tree has four Gentiles listed in the text we read and they were all women. We find a woman named Tamar in verse three, who was a Canaanite. Then there's Rahab from Jericho in verse five. Also in verse five, we find Ruth, a Moabite, who, and finally we find Uriah's wife, who was Bathsheba in verse six. Without these four women on this tree, the rest of those on the Christmas family tree would have never been there. In verse 16, what we hear in the text this morning is Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Now this one thing that Matthew does is very unusual. See, it's unusual in the Jewish community at this time to list women in the genealogy. And yet Matthew mentions five women in his text. He doesn't mention every woman, just a few, four Gentiles and then sweet Mary. So we understand why Mary is there. We see why she's included on the family tree. But here's the obvious question for Matthew. Why these four women? Why Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba? Why not some less problematic women such as Sarah or Rachel? We'll begin to see why when we begin to unfold and see some of the threads that come together for these four women. The key is the grace of God on full display. Because see, the story of Tamar unfolds in Genesis chapter 38. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah's son, her husband, died. His brother was supposed to have a child with her. That's the way things worked then. 
and he failed to do so, and so he was killed. Judah promised her, his youngest son, if she would simply wait for him to grow up. And she agreed, but Judah failed to keep the promise. So Tamar dresses up like a prostitute to get Judah to hit on her and got pregnant by him. And that's how we get the, t- the twins, Perez and Zara. Is this a story that you would include in your family tree? Would we really want people to know that somewhere along the line in our family tree, that some father-in-law mistook his daughter-in-law for a prostitute? And yet, God shares this about his son. Why? These are exactly the kind of people that Jesus came to save. He came for all sinners. At one point, Judah was going to have her burn until he realized that she was pregnant by him. So here she goes from almost dead to being in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ came to save from death. He came to rescue. He came to cleanse and to purify. Does your family tree have some skeletons? Does it have some twists and turns in it? God's grace is greater. Tamar did wrong, but she was also done wrong by. Jesus came through outcasts to save outcasts. What about Rahab? The woman that we discover in Joshua chapter two, I find she's one of the least likely people for us to discover and see in the genealogy of Jesus. She was a Canaanite, she was a Gentile. Not only that, Canaanites were the enemies of the Israelites. It was the Canaanites that we read about the Israelites marching in and wiping out, taking the land. They were a bunch of idolaters. She was one of them. So how does a Gentile, an idolatrous, end up in the family tree of Christ? See, when Israel was just about to get ready to take the land that had been promised to them, Joshua, the leader, sent spies into the land to check out the situation. And they were just about busted. But Rahab hid them. She lied to protect them. She chose the people of God over her idolatrous people. And in return, the people of Israel spared her and her family's life. So think about this. If you were to read in Joshua chapter two, would you assume that this woman would be the woman you would find in the genealogy of Jesus? Rahab shows us that our past doesn't have to be our future. Our sin no longer has to be our identity. Jesus didn't come to avoid sinners, but rather he came to redeem us. And what about Ruth? We see Ruth in this morning's text, and we're familiar with the story of Ruth and Boaz. Her husband and his brother, they died, leaving her and her sister-in-law with their mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi decides to go back to her homeland because she was a Jew. She encouraged the young girls to go about on their own way 
and one of them did. But Ruth refused to leave her mother-in-law. She chose instead to go with Naomi to become a part of her people, to worship God. And that's where the story picks up in Ruth 1. She ends up marrying and meeting and marrying Boaz. Boaz ends, as he marries her, this incredible story of God's sovereignty unfolds. His working of his purpose in all circumstances for his glory. Ruth is unlikely to be in the tree, in the family tree of Jesus. She wasn't a part of God's people. Her life was in shambles after the death of her husband. But God worked in the midst of all of that. He brought her into the family of God and he used her in the family tree. Do we begin to see the pattern that's unfolding as we read the text, as we see these names listed out before us? God choosing to accomplish his purpose in a way that demonstrates his grace. God's sovereignly working despite sinful people and horrible circumstances. God graciously turning enemies into friends. This is the story of Jesus' family tree. And it's the story of Jesus, the ultimate expression of faithfulness of God his sovereign power working out through his divine purpose and putting his grace on full display. See, Ruth shows us that no matter how messed up our family tree, God is greater. No matter how shattered our dreams, God is bigger. There's a place for you and me and God's family. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we discover the infamous story of David and Bathsheba. You see her in the Bible. She's referred to as the wife of Uriah as we were reading this morning. Uriah was off at war defending his land and David had stayed back. He spotted Uriah's wife and he had her brought to his quarters. They committed adultery together. She became pregnant and David had Uriah killed to cover up his sin. Right here in Christ's family tree, we find an adulterer, we find a murderer. The baby would die and later Bathsheba would bear a son to David named Solomon, who would be king. God made a promise to David and 2 Samuel that he would have a descendant on the throne and ultimately one who would reign forever. Solomon was the immediate descendant on the throne but Jesus is the king who reigns forever. Bathsheba shows us that there is no scandal that can exclude you and I from God's grace. Tamar, a girl who got pregnant through immorality with her father-in-law. Rahab, a prostitute. Ruth, a widow. Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, who got pregnant by David. And then in our text, we hear sweet Mary's name. She was promised to Joseph when the angel of the Lord told her that she would become the mother of the Messiah. 
As such, she likely faced shame and scorn day in and day out by what people assumed about her. She was probably scared about her future and yet she expressed the ultimate faith in God who has always made and delivered on his promises. When the angel appears to Mary in Luke chapter one, she responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And Mary also recognizes the unlikeliness and sings praises to God for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary was an ordinary girl who likely planned to live an ordinary life. But what remains beautiful about this story is that God never sees any one of us as ordinary. The world considered Mary to be an unlikely girl on the threshold of marriage, but God rewarded her faith and planned from the very beginning for her life, anything but ordinary. When an unexpected thing for the, comes from the Messiah, when the unexpected in the lineage shows up in the broken people with broken stories, ultimately to be given life, by a girl who was favored by God. Mary shows us that God works his sovereign purposes and he involves us in the plan. God is faithful. God doesn't go back on his word. God has made promises and he keeps them. Christmas declares that God is faithful. As we look at that very first Christmas tree, we don't see promises that God made to a couple of guys. We see a very different plan and purpose. God worked his sovereignty throughout human history to bring his perfect plan to us. Dan Wilt, the author of the book Roots says, one only need to read through a few stories throughout scriptures to see that his people are the people of the covenant are passionate fallible, incredibly devoted, quick to tears, quick to laughter, hopeful yet capable of great despair, trusting yet capable of great disobedience, worshipful but capable of great idolatry. Perhaps Jesus' genealogy, this first Christmas tree that we see here before us, prepares us for the unexpected way that God works and shows us the way that God can work in our lives, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been or what we have done. As I look back on my life, I think about many of the things that I like best about myself and yet they came from the most painful experiences in my life because they were redeemed by God. God has looked at each and every one of you. He looks you in the eyes and he says, you are my beloved. I have chosen you to be on my family tree. He turns all things for his glory. Let us pray.
Abba Father, as we sit in your presence this morning, we praise you that Jesus is the new beginning, our hope, coming King, the true promise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you were both fully God and fully man, that you could be our savior. Thank you that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. You are our creator and our sustainer. Lord, you are our friend and our advocate, pouring out grace and mercy upon us. Open our eyes, Lord. Allow us to see that we are not defined by our past. The characters and our family tree, Lord, that you see them, you see us, you call us beloved, you redeem us, you have chosen us. Lord, move our hearts and open our eyes that we may understand your forgiveness and grace. Help us to find the courage and the desire to share all that you have done in our lives. Turn our past, Lord, into your purpose. May we boldly proclaim our spot on the family tree of Christmas. Amen.
I'd like to leave you with these words of encouragement. God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. Together, we can change the world. Please contact me at marvinumc.com or join us in person for worship. May God bless you.